Georgia Dow is a therapist, but she's not your therapist. This show should not substitute a personal consultation with a professional. Micah, can you please repeat that? What were you saying? You were talking some smack about Steve, I believe. Yeah, uh, Steve thought it would be wise to attack me when I am (laughs) battling what I am almost convinced is strep throat. Um, And, you know, I just, I've run out of craps to give this week. So uh, Mm. he he was upset Mm. about me dad joking and beating him in the dad joke territory. So I I had to, I had to say, you know what, Steve? You you checked him. I checked him. Listen, I've been telling dad jokes since before you were born, Sergeant. I don't want to hear this nonsense. I, I think that Micah said, check yourself before you wreck yourself, Steve. This I is, think that that's what he was actually saying. This is what I'm He's trying to tell you. I think that saying is actually older than Micah is. It, so It was a warning, Steve. It, <laughs> it was a warning. If you keep it up, <laughs> you're going to regret it. What Ooh. would you do, Micah? What would you do if you were pushed too far? I honestly, let's see, what what is Micah's form of revenge? Uh, that is, well, Steve doesn't like dogs, so you can already tell where that's going. <laughs> Micah, Micah cons me into doing a video call and then shows my wife his adorable dog. And then just to, just to cement the Steve should get a dog meme that has been started on this very podcast. That is, that is Micah's form of she revenge. She sees my dog, she gets excited, then I hang up and he has to stay there and see how upset she is that they don't have a dog. So wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait. Maureen likes dogs. Oh yeah, Maureen loves dogs. And because of some patriarch, Maureen doesn't have a dog. <laughs> oh dear, you're in what trouble. What the now. freaking frack, Steve? It's oh. just my goal in life to make everybody as miserable as I am. So you know, that, <laughs> do you that's... believe in women's equality? <laughs> I do. I don't believe in canine equality. Is all. Oh so. wow. Oh, oh wow. Oh. See, I can I can work with creative differences in you know in in colleagues and in work colleagues, but I don't know if I can work with canine love differences. Well, uh, yeah, you don't believe my dog deserves the right to vote. <laughs> I think your dog would actually do a better job of voting than a lot of people in this country, so I'm actually okay with that. <laughs> Dropped the gauntlet there. Not on well Eve. talking oh. talking about voting. I bought my entire family. Team Valor Pokemon shirts. They are yeah. sick. What? Awesome. Sick. Awesome. I have like a giant phoenix. Right now? Right. Well, yeah, I'm, all, I'm wearing it. We went out as like a group, a whole family. I bought a ton of these shirts. And so we all went out and it was amazing because we had people on the street streets shouting, go Valor! <sighs> or like, you know, oh no, go Instinct, no. And it was so much more fun. It was so much more That's fun awesome. wearing our shirts. It was almost like like it, it was just great. It brought there was so many strangers that came up to us, even if they weren't playing. They're like, "Yes, you're on the right team." And you're, I think yes. that Valor is taking over. You're very yeah. Phoenix-like, Georgia. 
That's that's my uh, like dark dark phoenix yeah, 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 like yeah. actually. I mean like the X Men, <laughs> the the one where it's like you think that Georgia is Jean Grey, and then suddenly this this evil twisted monster that is the Phoenix <laughs> that is just like <clears throat> dripping with power and and psychological evil uh, just comes out, and suddenly it's too late. You've already been reeled in. You already think that you know uh, Jean Grey is there and and wants to wants to you know, be your friend. And then it's like, nope, I'm actually the Phoenix. And then it's too, it's too late for you. You're gone. So, so I have a marriage problem. I need <laughs> isometric help with, I have a very serious <laughs> marriage always issue. The best way of no, handling right. That. No, this yeah, is, yeah. this is definitely a public forum. Well, so, isometric can't help uh, you anymore, Brie, but right. Disruption. Sorry. Oh, disruption. Yeah. Disruption. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. Micah. <laughs> yeah. You, you need to yeah. have a days of future past type scenario in order for isometric to help you. I don't have any crabs okay. to give. Don't forget. Okay. 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 <laughs> so, so, okay. So Frank is beyond addicted to Pokemon Go. Like, ridiculously addicted. Like, I'm at the airport and I'm trying to get through security and he's just lollygagging around because he's trying to capture Pokemon or I'm trying to talk to him at a convention and he's just over in Franklin. And I want to just, like, my instinct, my Brianna instinct, is to take the phone out of his hand and throw it to the ground and just stomp it <laughs> under my boot forever. But it would be beyond hypocritical of me because of the, the the years probably in our marriage that I've spent playing games and ignoring Frank. So I don't know what to do about this. Like I can just stop on his iPhone, right? I actually need an answer to this question too, because I've had a similar problem, but with my nine-year-old who has, after nine years of renouncing Pokemon and completely like wanting to have nothing to do with it, all of a sudden, since Pokemon Go has come out, is like the biggest Pokefiend ever. And I hear <laughs> at least, this is what it must be like to live with me, because I hear at least 20 times a day about some Pokemon that's evolved into something else. And these are Pokemon that I don't even recognize because I haven't played through like X and Y as much as she has. And so I'm actually to the point where I'm almost, I almost want to say shut up about the Pokemon and that's completely hypocritical of me. Yeah, I've done this show with you, Steve. Like, wow. There, there's a rule about hypocrisy. And if, yeah. if the other person is is the one to initiate or like come to the realization, even if, you know, you're the one responsible if they come to the realization on their own, then it's not hypocritical. So you've heard of Pavlov's dogs, right? No, no, Micah. I haven't heard yeah. of them, but I'm pretty sure I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> so what you need to do is every yeah. time every time he goes to pick up the phone to play Pokemon, you just right. hit him on top of his head. <gasps> Just like a little, oh, yeah. it's just like, you know, just, just a little thing, you know, yeah. and, and so there's yeah. just a little bit of pain associated with playing the yeah. game. And yeah. eventually, every time he goes to look at Pokemon, he'll get a headache and it, it'll just be an automatic thing. This is, this is sound, right, Georgia? This is totally psychologically sound. Right? And, and, and ethical. Sounds. Yeah, and totally ethical. ethical. This is why we have the disclaimer at the beginning of the show, by the way. <laughs> all, all you're doing right. is hitting him on the head. And so you're not saying don't play Pokemon Go. You're just doing that. You're just doing the one action. And if the two happen to, you know, if, it, if effect seems to happen from cause, that's not your fault. So you're not a hypocrite. Can I ethically hook a car battery up to like a, a baton <laughs> oh, and then just yeah. like 
and just tap no. him. No, you I, you probably have one of those invisible fence things, right? You just put the oh. invisible oh, fence right. thing yeah. right before, right between him and his oh, phone, and then when he goes over to it, that's a great idea. No. There you go. Oh, Actually, yeah. no, because Bree's not a monster, and she doesn't use electric things on her dogs. Well, I no, but for her husband, it's okay. Yes, yeah, Frank is fine. He's <laughs> fine. He's fine. He's a tough bird. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just yeah. trying to think of how you can use home automation to make this process a little bit easier is all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, anything right. that's unpleasant, is there something, like, is there a smell? Does he just, like, hate the smell of bacon or, like, the, I don't know, the smell of tulips? Yeah, because bacon, bacon, very few people like the smell of bacon. I'll get a Red Sox banner and I'll just shove it in his face yes. every time he plays Pokemon. Yes. And that will just, yeah, okay. That's what I'm going to do. Please report Does back. Does he hate the smell of bacon? What are you? I, I don't eat pork for religious reasons, and I love the smell of bacon. Like, who who hates the smell of bacon? Uh, people that hate the smell of bacon. I'm telling you, Steve, no probably don't like the smell of bacon. I think even pigs would like the smell of bacon. Oh, yeah, seriously. They probably oh, would. See, there's that phoenix again. <laughs> all right, all right, we should start the show. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I think that this actually, though, I think this deserves an answer. Okay. Which an part? Actual- Answer. Actual answer. Oh, okay. Thank you, Georgia. Please, please bestow upon me the excuses so, so, I need. Please. So there, there should be ground rules to video game playing. Period. All, always in a family. So for us, we like we don't play while we eat or if we're at a restaurant. All tech has to go away during those periods of time, and we have times when we play. So my husband doesn't actually play. So he's the designated driver. And he drives us around, and then the kids and I will go, and we'll spend, like, you know, two to three hours during that period of time, and we just go poke a crazy. Um, but then after that time, it's just time off. And then so you want to make sure that you've both agreed on, well, you know, what would be appropriate and comfortable and what wouldn't. And so you need to discuss that. So in our family, you know, they don't – they can't play unless they've asked us. And so we'll say, can – they're like, can we go out? And I'm like – you know what, not right now, let's do homework or let's do this and that. And then if it's okay, then you do. But if for you, you, it's uncomfortable if you're having supper or if you're eating or if there's an important conversation and they're hunting at the same time, that's going to cause a lot of problems to that. And I think that with parenting, it is an issue that you want to make sure that you've created proper boundaries and consequences to if they're playing too much. With And that goes with anything, like the same thing for VR. Like I love VR, I'm on it quite a lot. But it's only after a certain period of time when the kids are asleep that we get to choose to watch TV or we can play VR. There's great TV. We watch TV. Stranger Things, awesome. Uh, if there is not great TV, then we'll, we'll you know, do some VR and we kind of switch between it. But you want to be able to have that discussion of what's comfortable and what isn't comfortable. And you need to respect that on both parties. I think the one problem with that is, you know, Frank is not my child. He's my husband. That's the one problem with that logic. But yeah. Now, Frank, we are, Frank, we are, we are eating right now. You need to put your, your phone away. No, but do you really, do you guys eat and have someone on their phone at the same time? Sometimes. While you're having, oh, okay. Well, that might be something that you guys both need to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, you shouldn't. You should probably be like spending some like, you know, time while you're eating or yeah. at least at a restaurant. You wouldn't be doing that at, if you were at a restaurant though, right? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah probably not. There's a little uh, bit of a Unless the pause. restaurant had a, had a Pokestop with a lure on it and then, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> hey, hey, you know, if there's a Dragonite in that restaurant, I'm a sorry. Look, yeah. I'm Fair down game. The fork. Fair game. Yeah. 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 But not a trubbish. You don't want to get a trubbish in the restaurant. I've no. got a, a, I've a, got a technique. I've I found a, a trubbish. No, I don't have a trubbish. If that was a trubbish, it's not in, in the game yet because it's not one of the original 150. 
Yeah. I don't. I, though, I, no, there's 150 Pokemon and that's the end of it. Sp- I, I, my, my daughter can disabuse you of that notion in six, uh, six hour long sessions. <laughs> that can be your uh, payback. Right uh, yes. I have an idea, though. <laughs> This is how you're going to stop Georgia from getting on to you for playing Pokemon Go while you're out at a restaurant, Brie, uh, because she's not going to know because you're just going to be wearing a temporary tattoo that allows you to mm-hmm. talk to your phone without actually having to pull it out. That was smooth, Micah. Thank smooth. you. Thank you. I try. Uh, so this is this is some super neat stuff that uh, rather MIT is is responsible for uh, creating these temporary tattoos that are used with uh, gold leaf. So if you've ever been to a music festival in the last like three years, you've probably seen someone there with a gold leaf temporary tattoo because they are all the rage now. Or as this article that we'll put in the show notes says, they are en vogue. Uh, and basically what it is, is, you know, the temporary tattoos of our, uh, childhood, or at least mine, uh, where you would end up using your saliva to lick the back of the tattoo and then it sticks to your skin. And then it's just like a little bit of like plastic or something, uh, that, that goes on your skin for a day and then it rubs off and then your hairs get pulled out of your arm and it's painful and everything's bad. Uh, these are the same. Overshare. Overshare. (laughs) Overshare. You're right. I'm sorry. But tell us how you really feel, Micah. Uh, I'm telling you, no, no craps. Uh, uh, these are no fracks, I guess. These are the same kind of deal, except they are covered in gold or silver leaf. And the reason why is because those materials are conductive. Uh, if you didn't know, that's why your headphone jacks sometimes will be gold plated and the connections on uh, different cards that you stick inside your computer. This technology is called <laughs> Duo Skin, and it's pretty neat. Basically, it allows you to wear a tattoo that can interface with devices. So you can think of it like a Bluetooth remote, except it's on your skin and it looks kind of cool in the meantime. This is very futuristic. I- I'm curious what everybody thinks about this. Is this something but, you can I see? Mean, I mean, I have a lot to say about this micah Great. like you're talking about like it's a, a real product that's out and it's maybe i read the wrong articles we were prepping but the thing i saw was just a, a concept for mit um and you know i speak at mit a lot i go down to their labs they've got all kinds of dumb ideas like <laughs> you know like like i'm very used to seeing that like this isn't a product that's come to market like they've got something like embedded uh circuit technology and they managed to make a very basic driver and they basically shot a you know through mit's um marketing department made a video about this I just gonna be straight. I thought it was a bit disingenuous. Um, uh, you know, the, the way the prototype really works is it's, you have to have it go into a wire and a wired transmitter to like get that in there. So it's not like just a tattoo you plop on your skin. It's got to go to a power source. You're going to have to have custom, you know, made drivers to go with it. And, you know, like the NFC, that's something that, you know, like the, the near field technology, that's something that might work. So like a, a metal gear application of like using a temporary tattoo to open a door, um, that might work. But like what we saw was a really basic principle of, um, you know, basically how a touchpad works that was, you know, wired in underneath the woman's arm in a way that made a cool video. So I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. Um, we, sh- we should definitely note that, you know, this technology has not come to bear yet. Uh, and, you know, we've seen a lot of this kind of different 
technology in in different applications. Like I can remember when uh, Google had a super super thin circuit board that they were putting into a contact that would go on your eyes and be able to measure glucose levels in the blood. Um, and, you know, this is the same kind of thing, making these super thin uh, technologies. And I know that there are some people, as we kind of go further into the future, uh, who are uncomfortable with the idea of like embedding underneath the skin, you know, a chip or something like that. And so this laying on top of the skin at the same time also providing a uh, fun design or what have you. I, I like the idea of it in that sense because it, it adds like body modification that is um, – it's not only like, is it a personalization, but it's also obvious to other people, I think, which is a problem with some technology. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Steve, you, you, you shared this with us. What, what are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah. I mean, I didn't look at it as something that's like available now that you're going to use now, but I think that it's, it's kind of solving a problem that embedded circuitry has had, which is the actual needing someone to go under the knife in order to do that, which is for a lot of people, you know, it's too far to go for a bit of convenience. I mean, obviously, there are people who are body hackers who will do that sort of thing, and they're, that's great for them, but most people aren't comfortable taking elective surgery just to be able to, like, open open your lock to your front door without having to take your keys out or, or whatever you would do. And I think that – and there's also potentially some religious objections to that too uh, that – you know, that this would get around also. It kind of opens it up to more people. And there are a lot of interesting applications for uh, an NFC chip that you could just kind of embed on on your skin instead of in your skin, especially like with – and one of the examples that the article had was within a hospital setting. And the first thing that I thought of immediately was like when you uh, – when you're in the maternity ward and to avoid like a switch to birth scenario, they have a bracelet that – both parents wear and the bracelet the kid wears that they match up against each other. And maybe if you just had something that you were wearing for the duration of your stay at the hospital that you just scanned in, that would make that process a little bit less inconvenient than having to recite your name and date of birth and, you know, whatever other information every time that uh, every time that you go to, you know, pick your baby up from the nursery. Okay. I want these. I want them. I want them now. They're awesome. They look cool. I I would be totally into not having to carry around a phone or a watch. I already read, like the gold tattoos in the first place, but to be able to do something with them, be it if it's, you know, I don't think that this would be something that would be vaporware just because I think that um, it's one of those things that we are moving to technology that is closer and closer to our person from yeah. computers to laptops, which we can carry everywhere, to our phones, which are light and more portable, to watches this is where we're going. It's now, will this one be the one that will pass, you know, the test and be able to be light enough, clear enough, um, something that would be easily applicable that wouldn't cause any short circuiting burns, um, <laughs> issues with that. Like who knows? Yeah. I, uh, again, I think this is the future. It, not, not necessarily this. No, 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 not necessarily this exactly, but the idea of, you know, like I can see myself in, or not myself, but like if I touch down on this planet in 75 years or something like that, I think that people will have close to skin electronics. Uh, frankly, I would want smart clothes before I ever want a smart tattoo. Uh, do but, you like clothes? Yes, I do. Now, why would you want smart clothes? Because then I have to wear that shirt. 
the idea is that they would all be that way. Like this is my ideal future. <laughs> they all are are set up to do like it's just you know, whenever you go buy a cotton shirt, it just has that. I wear undershirts every day, uh, and it would just have that technology built into it. So I think I would like that. I I'm not sold. I'm not. I'm not. I'm sorry. I um, you know, like the size of it, you're gonna have to make a, a driver that's roughly different for every single one. Like you can see the details in the video of how imprecise it is, and you know all the. All the gross stuff to think about, like what happens when you start sweating? What happens when you move a lot? What happens like when it breaks unexpectedly? I mean, like these are really serious consumer barriers to entry. And, you know, maybe we'll be in the Jetsons future, um, you know, a hundred years from now. Will this has happened? Like, Mikey, even the example you're giving of smart clothes, like I'm, I'm adding up the rare earth elements that you might need for that in my head. And I'm thinking about how hard it is to get people to recycle iPhones. And I'm thinking about the devastating environmental cost of that so like there there's there's a lot of stuff between you know where we are today and where we would need to go absolutely i'm waiting for my star trek future (laughs) yeah i mean i think we'll get to smart clothes before we get there and that's that's something that is happening just because some people just don't want to wear like a fitness tracker and and there are there are things like these sensoria smart socks that cost two hundred dollars that have sensors within them and like us and there's a sports bra that has a heart rate monitor built into it also that i don't know why you would wear that instead of a fitness tracker because you'd have oh i do i mean for most people like 140 dollar sports bra is going to be the only sports bra that they're going to wear every single day because you're not going to buy a whole it's going to end up being a real nasty sports bra yeah (laughs) that's what that's that's my point really (laughs) you can you can take that the 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 band out and put it in different things and you know it's uh like the apple watch is good it's pretty accurate but like a a strap monitor is just you know it's always going to be better so yeah i don't know and i think that that's possibly the one benefit of this type of on skin stuff is that the closer you can get to the thing that you're tracking the better uh the less chance you're going to have for jostling to get in the way. Um, Mm -hmm, And like this is, this is a good way to, to monitor things that involve, um, oh goodness, like pedometers and, and uh, accelerometers and things like that, because there's no jiggle to add to what's already happening to the movement of the leg and stuff like that. Again, though, as we've said, I think this is pretty far off. I, I think it's just interesting to sometimes talk about this and, and, uh, you know, look out into the future and see what, what all we might want. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, like, like Linode. All right. You are on point today, my friend. Just, I will give you that much. You may be you may be eyeing for my dad Joe Crown, but you are on point with the segues tonight. Thank you. I will uh, give you that much. I just I want to keep this uh train a rolling as we talk about this wonderful, wonderful friend of ours, Linode. Remember, that's Linode, not Linode. This episode is brought <laughs> to you by our friends from Linode. It's a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight data centers around the world, and that's what makes Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. You can get a server up and running in under a minute with plans starting at just $10 a month, which now will get you two gigabytes of RAM. Yeah, 
two gigabytes of RAM. You'll be able to choose your resources, your Linux distro, and node location right from the manager tool. And once you're up and running, you can easily deploy, boot, and resize your virtual server with just a few clicks. So did you hear all that? It's super, super simple. It's super, super fast. And it's super, super inexpensive to get started with Linode. Why not? And if you're kind of wondering, you know, what does Linode do? What would I use it for? Well, they've got some different options that you can take. So it's great for tasks like running a private Git server or hosting large databases, which is, again, what you're going to need if you're going to uh, write down all of the escapades Georgia Dow has gone on, running a mail server operating powerful applications, and oh, so much more. With industry-leading native SSD storage and having access to a 40-gigabit network, man, I would love that. You'll have all the power you need to get your tasks done. So, Wait, let me ask you something, Micah. So let's say, theoretically, someone was about to ship a game, Mm -hmm. and they were looking at the next game they were going to make. And let's say, theoretically, they were thinking about making a very, like, a hyper-competitive version of Peggle (gasps) that had, like, an online component and score tracking. Like, you'd need a significant services component for that. I could just call up Linode and have them build all that stuff for me, rather than, you know, like, turning my house into a server farm? (laughs) You could keep your house for, you know, running around in VR because you're just going to call up or even better, if you don't like talking to people, just hop online and set up a Linux server and you could do it in seconds where you can get your game off. Well, you'd have to you know do all the coding for the game and things like that. But in terms of getting it up and running, Linode's got your back in mere minutes by the end of it. And it just starts at $10 a month. So I think you could do some, some cost saving stuff there as well. Be pretty cool, huh? Uh, and so, if you're a listener of the show and you're wanting to create your own ultimate Peggle or any of the other things we talked about, then you're going to want to go to linode.com/slash. You guessed it, disruption. And you're not only going to be supporting us, but you're also going to get twenty dollars toward any Linode plan. Okay, so plans start at ten dollars a month. We're doing the math here, and you're getting twenty dollars. Hmm, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Maybe, you know, you can figure that out and <laughs> keep that site running for a really, really, really long time. You got a seven-day money-back guarantee, so if you end up, you know, not not needing it anymore, what have you, there's nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash disruption to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. Or you can just go to the site and use the code disruption 20 at checkout. So once again, that's linode.com slash disruption, or just go to the site and use disruption 20 at checkout. Thank you very much, Linode, for supporting the show and our network, which, by the way, is two years old today. Awesome. Congratulations on the second year. How how many years is like like is a podcast network like dog years? So they'd be fourteen today. Like yeah, how does a podcast network age? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I smashed my face into a cake to celebrate. So you know, I photoshopped a Bitmoji so that it had uh, the Relay FM sign in it. That was my way of celebrating today. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Mike Hurley apparently awesome. got a non temporarily non gold leaf tattoo. <laughs> Uh, on his uh, forearm of the relay, like the the template for all the relay show art, he got that on his uh, on his forearm. So that that's Steve. You've got to get a, a disruption tattoo, dude. Well, I I can't for religious reasons, unfortunately. But oh, yeah. you could get a fake one. I mean, I could, but then I I wouldn't be able to be buried in a Jewish graveyard. So oh that's, my gosh. that would be kind of sad. What what what? 
We need to do disruption temporary tattoos. We need to figure out that, where that we I can go oh, to make great. that. There's got to be a site online that lets you make temporary tattoos. Oh, I'm sure there Char- is. Charles, help us Charles out. Charles will figure that out for us. Help us out. Charles will already have them like made and shipping to us by the, <laughs> by the time that we're done recording the show. And we don't even broadcast live anymore. Right. He somehow knows. You don't need to spend any money, Charles. But if you want to send some uh, ideas our way, we might be able to go in and set up some temporary tattoos. Because I know I will rep a temporary tattoo for disruption. That'd be fun. Oh, yeah. Georgia, you've got to get a real tattoo of disruption on your forehead. You have to do it. You have to do it. Like the casino woman. Or, 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 or you know what? Next time we see yeah. you, we'll just give you one in Sharpie. How about that? That'll, oh. that'll work. Oh, the first person that falls asleep. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> While we we're meet playing up together. games. That's, that's, the, that's the, the new horror movie that we're going to be writing. And you know what? Like, while Steve, you know it's going to be you. It's going to be you, Steve. It is going to be Steve. And while we're out, someone is going to make make some comment at Steve. And we're going to be like, you know what we should do? Get rid of the comments. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was terrible. Oh, my God. But, but, I take back everything that I said, Micah. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, just leave it in the comment section, which doesn't exist on NPR. Oh. So let's talk about this. NPR is the latest site uh, joining a whole host of others that are getting getting rid of comments. So yeah, I mean they they've had comments on on their site since two thousand eight, and uh, their most engaged uh, viewership or their most engaged readers are you know of course pretty upset. However, <laughs> that that number like. The number of people who comment is far less than the wider audience. And what's interesting is, and I just have to draw this comparison here, um, the same thing goes for our site, iMore. Um, There are a bajillion – well, there aren't a bajillion, but there are quite a few people who visit the site over the course of a month, right? And there is, in comparison to that, a like drop of sand in the vast ocean – is the 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 I don't know the tiny little bit of people who actually go on and comment regularly, and so it ends up being the case a lot of the times that it seems as if everybody is upset about something, but that's not the case. It's just the same people kind of saturating everything with this this sadness or anger in this case, and I think that that's why sites end up removing comments. I mean, does anyone here feel like they are being censored because NPR or other sites have uh, remove the comments? Well, I think I, I have to say this, Micah, and I just want to be clear. I'm very much in favor of getting rid of comments. Like, I think when I write a piece, yeah, okay, I'm going to use a vivid analogy. Steve, don't cut this. So do you oh, know dear. when you go to the gym? Oh, oh, I always know it's going to be good. When, 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 <laughs> when, this, when, the says, co- when the whole thing starts with it. Steve, don't cut this. I know to, to <laughs> buckle up and get ready for a wild ride. So go do ahead. you know when you're sitting there at the gym and maybe you're just talking to people at the gym afterwards and like, you know, there's somebody like maybe sitting down in gym shorts and you're like looking them in the eye and you're trying to talk to them, but you can like see their, their penis like hanging out of their, their, their shorts. That's what this is like. A comment is like, you have this beautiful, awesomely written article. And it's like by a professional writer, it is so perfect. It makes the point so, so awesomely. And then like you scroll down and then below it's like, oh, this is a bunch of feminist crap. 
freaking SJWs need to die. And you're like trying to cut, like you're trying to look at the article in the eye. And it's like there's this <laughs> testicle down there that's oh just God. really <laughs> awkward. And you don't want to think about it. So I'm 100% for removing comments. But I have to say, I do remember what it was like. When you were at a gym and you were trying to talk to someone. No, no, no. I'm saying all of us here on this podcast, we have a voice. People listen to us, right? Like I have a, it's like, God, last time I checked, like 15 million people look at my tweets every month, right? Like Mm -hmm. when I write a piece, it gets a lot of traffic. Mm -hmm. I feel no problem with like having my voice heard and my opinions heard. I think it's fair to say there are a lot of people out there that do feel like they don't have a voice. Now, 99% of them are in Gamergate. and You can like go to Gamergate's headquarters and read. They'll talk about like, oh, I've been banned from NPR four times. They're a bunch of SJW frauds. So like, you know, I... Like, that's who you're dealing with. But I just want to say I have compassion for people yeah. that, you know, don't have a podcast on relay. That's got to be tough. Or don't so. wear the proper shorts to the gym. Yeah. I also right. have compassion yeah. right. for them. So, please don't. Yeah, wear, don't wear pants yeah. to the gym is, the, is the moral so, of that story. It's so, so free, is, are you yeah. are you saying yeah. that... Um, <laughs> I think we're all focusing sorry. on the wrong thing. Here. I'm sorry. Oh I could, I, anyway. Okay, so you're saying That's that a fair analogy. Are, the analogy yeah. itself. The, the analogy is that is that comments are like awkward testicle slippage. Yes, <laughs> it's just hanging down there below the article. It shouldn't be there. It should be covered up. It's just distracting and and it's indecent most of the time. Yeah. Oh, the the imagery was horrible. Oh, Steve, okay. that was wonderful most of the time. He says. <laughs> dear because this this analogy itself is awkward testicle slippage because you've made this beautiful point (laughs) but all we can focus on is the analogy that you've made i'm not making that the title by the way that's not it's a good okay do you disagree (laughs) with the analogy no it's a no i don't disagree with the analogy i'm just not making it the title of the episode it's literally perfect stuff for i more and i've read your piece i'm like oh that's micah sergeant he's really Wow, that's really Oh my god, what is that there? No. Like uh, like you know yeah, this. Yeah, that's uh that's happened to me. Uh it, there it's happened to me when I used to be on camera a lot more. Uh so yeah, and you can't look especially if you are the creator of it. It's really hard to look away from those things and it's like yeah, it's uh it was a very good analogy, I will say that. I think it was uh, good. But I mean, so I I agree with you, Bree, and I think um, that is something you know that many of us tend to forget is necessary. Like when I send out a tweet, like I sent out earlier, that said I need to talk to someone about Mister Robot, then I had you know three or four people respond to me and ended up getting to have a conversation with different people, and so I am I you know I feel privileged and lucky to have that you know where I can feel like I'm being heard, but. Yeah, when not everyone feels that way and maybe they've always, you know, NPR is the site they go to and they feel like they're getting their voice out by being in the comments. I can understand the upsetness. I think it's just a matter of whether it adds or takes away from the point of the site. And for a site like NPR, their their point was not to foster at this point anymore, it's not to foster a community based around the comments. Uh, whereas some sites do have that purpose and it'll probably, 
never get rid of those comments. So I think it makes sense. It's a good move for them uh, and yeah. will hopefully mean that – I don't know. I like I have a setting turned on with my uh, content blocking system that removes comment sections anyway. So I don't really see them that much. But this, uh, I guess, would, would give other people that option just automatically. Yeah. And the fact that that kind of a content blocker exists kind of says what everybody most what enough people think about comments that a tool like that exists and, you know, is used. It's it's interesting that people get upset because I, I think that they're they're misunderstanding what free speech is. You yes. can still say if you do not like an article, they can still say that they can say it to as many people as they want. They can post it on e- their email. They can post it on their Twitter. They can put it on their Facebook. That's fine. But when a website is curating it, that's what their ownership and they can choose the way that people play in their playground. And that's fine. That's if they feel like not having comments at all and you don't like that, you do not have to go to their website. That's fine. This is not something that's discriminatory. It's just to everyone. You just they're just getting rid of that. And that's a fine choice to that. I think that it's hard for people to deal with change And they used to enjoy commenting on things, but if a website decides that they want to get rid of it, it's for valid reasons to that. And that's not changing your right to speak up about something. It's changing the format in which you would be able to do that. And there's a difference between that. Yeah. And and also, it feels like comments on websites in general are kind of a vestige of the internet as it was like 10 years ago, as opposed to the internet as it is now. I mean, I, I don't remember if I've talked about this before or not. I like in 2002, 2003, a few friends of mine and I made a run at putting together an, a game review site called netjack.com. And I, I hand coded the C, the CMS for that in PHP. And we went to like an inordinate amount of effort to include comments. And a lot of the reason that we did that, even though we had a forum, is we just wanted to know that we wanted a way to know that people were actually reading the stuff. And, you know, the way that you know that somebody's reading it and cares about what you're writing is that they would actually go through the process of leaving a comment. Now, that was way before even before Twitter was even a glimmer in anybody's eye. The internet was not what it is now. Uh, but it feels like the comments on websites are like the worst possible way to get your vo- to get your opinion heard because most people who are not the kinds of people who leave comments on on articles on the internet just completely ignore them so it just feels like every time i see a comment section and i hear someone say don't read the comments which is a common meme i wonder i've wondered for a long time like why do they even exist because Twitter exists, Facebook exists, email exists. There are plenty of ways to get in touch with the the person who wrote the article and make your opinion heard. And it just seems like, you know, leaving a comment on the bottom of an article that most people who are reading the article are just going to completely ignore anyway is like the least effective way to do it. It's I mean, I feel like it's people that want an audience without having done the work. I mean, you know, I don't know how you feel, Micah, but I've worked my ass off. To get to where I am in my career right now, I have. I've made, I've fostered relationships with editors. I've worked a lot of my writing style. I mean, this doesn't happen serendipitously. You know, we didn't just get a show on relay because like, you know, the fairy godmother put one under my pillow one night. Like, and I, again, it's like, it feels like people feel entitled to other people's audiences without having put in the work. 
And, you know, like, I believe me, I understand how much bias there is against certain people. And I, I, I would even go so far as to say, I do think that common culture nowadays is a little bit biased against right wing viewpoints. And I, I do see that. But the answer is to go out and like uh, create your own media, like create your own social uh, media platform where, you know, you can get these opinions out there. You don't have a right to get your dumb, inept opinion underneath my article that I worked my butt off to write and to, you know, even be there in the first place. So I just, you know, it's, it's part of the past. It's a fraction of a fraction. Like, Mike, I'm signing the stat off the top of my head. It is 0.03% of NPR listeners have ever left a comment out of what was it? 30 million, uh, people going to their website every month. And then out of that, is a fraction is like 4,300 people that leave 67% of the comments on the site. If I remember correctly, like that is such a, a tiny, 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 tiny number. And it's people that are just talking to themselves. So, you know, it's expensive to curate. You could go hire another journalist for that. It's just not a good use of resources that is in exactly, 2016. That's exactly it. That was the point that I was going to make uh, next. And, and I just, I'll just quote those stats for, for you. Uh, in July, NPR recorded nearly 33 million unique users. 33 million unique users. And there were 491,000 comments. But... Those comments came from just 19,400 commenters. That's 0.06% of users who are commenting, a number that has stayed steady through 2016. So that is a very, very, very small percent that's doing the commenting. And yes, that note about how not only uh, financially taxing, but emotionally taxing and resource heavy it can be to take care of a comment section, uh, whether that be, you know, just taking care of, of mediating it and, and making sure that you know, terrible things or spam aren't there. But for some people, they end up having to pay for a subscription service to some, you know, comment platform, which ends up costing money and costs page loads and does this, that and the other. And so it's really not uh, it's not cost effective, especially like, I don't know, at this point now, and again, this is just me, uh, I, I can't speak for everybody, but like my immediate reaction is to, if I see an article, I don't go to the comment section to, if I, you know, if I have a thought about something, I post the link on Twitter and then I talk about it there. Or if it's on Facebook and I really don't ever, but I know a lot of my family would leave a comment there, but that's, you know, it's an inviting thing. That's what it's for. You post the link and then you talk about it. But I, I, I want to say one last thing on this and we should move on. But I think because so many of these systems are designed by men, I think they don't understand when there's an article about me, inevitably, inevitably, Gamergate comes into it and they link to information that's just false about me and defames me. Sometimes it doxes me. Sometimes it gives my address. Sometimes it gives my phone number. I endure this all the time in the media when it hasn't, I, I didn't consent to it. And it's just this, this system that's out there and it's abusive. Google does this too. People make video, videos about me all the time. And if you go there right immediately after, it's going to be a video filled with a bunch of stuff about my life. That's frankly my business. So, you know, these systems have consequences for 
people that are minorities. And, you know, it's just so rampant with abuse. And I'm just, I'm tired of people that just, they have no empathy for anyone else, just like ruining, you know, the internet for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I mean this that and I mean there was an article even like two years ago where Jezebel was calling out their higher ups at Gawker because they had to go in and moderate all this stuff. And even the stuff that the public wasn't seeing, one of their editors still had to go in see when some of the stuff was horrible to even talk about what it was and then go and remove it. So even though the public wasn't necessarily seeing it, someone on their staff was subjected to that on a daily basis. And there was nothing done by higher ups until they actually wrote a blog on Jezebel calling out Gawker for not doing anything about it. It you you just wonder like what's the benefit versus all the costs that are involved in it. Yes, and and especially things that are are hate speech. Like we have like well, I live in Canada, but we have laws against inciting violence or hatred or defaming people or making people feel bad. Like that's harassment. I don't understand how people could try to use free speech to do things that are actually harmful and how that does not go into, you know, screaming fire in a burning building. Let's go ahead and move on to talk about Google's new uh, FaceTime competitor called Google Duo. Uh, Steve, you and I had a little Duo call the other day. And uh, why don't you share with our audience a little bit about that? Well, in fairness, we were mostly talking to Harry. This is true, yes. We were mostly talking to my dog. I just held the camera in front of my dog, and uh, he, he he said that he hated him. No, he didn't. <laughs> oh. oh! No, it was the other way around. Steve said, get that uh, dog off the camera. I was very nice he to was. your dog. He was. He was. I was, I was. I was very polite to your dog, at least until we hung up the call. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, so this is a new app that, that Google introduced, um, both on iOS and Android, uh, this week that's supposed to replace FaceTime. And so you, you open up the app and it's very simple to get started up with it. You basically just tap a couple of buttons and give it access to all your information. And, um, and then it, you, it brings up all of your contacts who have also signed up with their, with their numbers. So Micah's name came right up. And um, I was able to call him. And the interesting thing that it does. Sorry, how does it have access to all your contacts? He was being he was being facetious. I gave it access for the good of the show. Um, It it does ask first and then you and then it, you know, pulls in your contact information and you tell it just you don't set up an account. You just tell it a phone number that you want to you want to tie to it. And then it will find other people based on the phone number and your contacts who have signed up with that phone number. And so what it does, though, Micah didn't actually see it because he just picked up from the notification instead of having like the app running, um, is it has this feature called knock knock where you it will actually show you the person who's calling before you pick up so you can see, I guess, what they're doing. Yeah, I think the idea is, well, if especially if it's like, I don't know, from my mom's phone, for example, uh, I have siblings and occasionally one of them will text me from my mom's phone and eventually I'll realize it's them and not my mom. And it's not like joking or pranking or whatever. They're just like, <laughs> it's the nearest communication device to use. And so I could see this being, you know, there are families who have like one iPad in the house or one whatever it is that Android makes that's a tablet in the house. And so you might go, oh, you know, that's on. Stacy and not Uncle Linda. 
I, I mean, and it worked fine. Like there was one point where Micah didn't have his his phone charged enough, and we shamed him for it, and the uh, the video dropped out, and then we had to restart the call. But I mean, other than that, it worked pretty much just like just like FaceTime does. Mm. It wasn't too much different, and I think that's kind of the weird thing about it. I guess for as as far as Android is concerned, this is something that they haven't really had, at least from Google before. Uh, the only reason that I think this even exists is because Apple said that they were going to make FaceTime an open standard and didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Google's trying to do the same thing and provide one standard for video calling. Uh, really quickly, like the reason why I think that you're absolutely dead on there is because Google still has Ello, which does the exact same thing, but it's just for Android and a bunch of other things. It's a you know multiple communication platform or whatever. But this was created to bridge the gap so you can be on an iOS device and an Android device and be able to use it. Um, so I think that that's, you know, the the clear evidence there and the fact, too, that it doesn't tie into any of those services at all. It's a completely separate product. I guess when we were talking, though, I, I was struck by, like, not that I didn't enjoy my conversation with Micah, but how much that's not how I want to have a conversation Ugh. with anybody. Yeah. I'm thinking back to, like, my usage of FaceTime on the phone, which was supposed to be, like, the big you know, marquee feature when they introduced a a forward-facing camera on the iPhone 4. And I can count on one hand the number of times that I've used it successfully. I've had a couple of false starts with my parents and horrible internet, but like the only time that I can think of that I've actually used it for its intended purpose was when my parents were in Florida and they needed to get some document out of their out of their closet that was in Massachusetts and I was showing them the stuff on the camera so that they could point me to what they needed me to photocopy for them. And most of my contacts are on iOS anyway, so it's not like it's an operating system issue. It's just I've never really wanted to have phone calls like that. And I don't think a lot of people generally do. I don't know if maybe this is one of those things that's more popular among the masses than is, you know, among nerds or whatever. But it's always seemed like so much extra friction to have a video call than to actually just you know, pick up the phone or just text, which is easier. I'm curious to hear both uh, Brie and George's thoughts on video calls. And then I would love to hear some uh, mental, some, some psych psychotherapy stuff or rather psychology stuff about, uh, you know, do, is there a difference psychologically between talking to someone in video versus talking to them in person? Uh, and maybe like if there's an explanation for why I as a human absolutely hate the commitment of talking to someone on a phone, like, you know, audio or the commitment of talking to someone face to face. I just I get super anxious. I, I've dealt with social anxiety. And so I think that's the big part of it. But like I get super anxious and I'm like, I know for the next at least 10 minutes, I'm going to be stuck with this phone plastered to my face. And like, I feel like I made a commitment. So I'm curious, you know, is there a difference? Why do I why Georgia? Why do I hate video and audio calling? And uh, also your thoughts just just in general on, on video calling, if, if you both care to share. Sure. Do you want to start first, Bree? I avoid video whenever I can do it. Part of the reason is when I do any kind of appearance, like, you know, I get a lot of 
people making fun of my looks. I get I get tweets sent at me with like people pointing out every one of my flaws. Uh, it, it really it's it's horrible for me. And I, I think I'm probably not the only woman that feels this way. But like when someone wants because dudes want to to video call with you a lot. And it's like I find myself going, well, what does my hair look like? Do I have my makeup on? You know, what am I wearing? All this stuff. There's this entire layer on top of it that I feel like I have to worry about that is just very stressful for, for me. So mm-hmm. um, I I hate video calling. I, I, I got to be straight with you. Every time we do a podcast, I have to like check. It's like a gut check. <laughs> and I, I push my way through the fear. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's not something I like at all. I, I ask Frank to make any call that I can get him to do that I won't because it just taps into such a deep-seated fear with me. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's common for a lot of people. Um, especially our society has, like we're starting to move away from it, but our society is so um, superficial and hard on people for for the way that they look and the way that they sound and what they do and their mannerisms are and we'll jump on anything right now we're so highly reactive and just trying to get that little sound bite that will make someone look you know horrible or embarrass them and so i think that that's common to everyone though for for social anxiety and for like a phone call or dealing with it it's that constant pressure of you know you're under the spotlight you don't know what someone else is going to say and you're going to have to respond to that and that gets the closer you are to being in and again there's different types of social anxiety and so this could be the exact opposite for a different type of social anxiety but the closer you are to being person to person the harder that is to being that and so having just having audio like so text is usually easiest for people but as long as they know who they're texting so text is going to be easiest because you can write something out you can pause you can take time you can think about it then you can write it out you can spell check it you can look at it you don't have to worry about that then the second would be you know a video an audio call which is easier but it's again you're on the fly you don't know what someone's going to say i have a lot of people that deal with social anxiety and they do not answer the phone Period. They don't answer the phone. They will not answer the door. They will not call to have pizza delivered to their house. They won't order at a restaurant because they're so worried about being judged and what someone else might think. And we have an innate hardwire to that. So we used to live in groups and you can see, see the same thing with chimpanzees. Any group-based primate, it, you really do need the group to survive. And so any person that might do the wrong thing would be ostracized from that group. And it did increase the chances of not being able to survive. And so this is hardwired into us wanting to be liked and to be accepted. And there's no, we're no longer, we used to live in familial groups. So groups that we would know, we would know all of our lives. And so we've been thrown out of that safety of being in a group, if you had a nice family at least, Um, and now we're with people that we don't know. We don't know the rules to, we don't know what they might like. Some people are, are highly aggressive or mean or cruel or judgmental. And now our media and culture has taught us to be a little bit less empathic to others and differences. I think that now we're speaking out more about that. So hopefully that's going to continue to change, but it was all that one liner. And did you say that really funny thing, that funny retort that really put them down and put them in their place. That's something that people push and we, you know, laugh at that and good for them for telling them off instead of 
empathy and thought and care and consideration. Someone does something wrong and the first thought that people have is let's plaster that on social media without even asking them. It's horrible. And so, no, of course, we wouldn't feel any more safe outside of our skin. And so that goes down to, you know, making a phone call or even answering a text. So my question for you, um, and I don't intend for this to to sound braggy. It honestly is just my experience in the sense that, so I've done a lot of public speaking throughout my life, and then I was on camera for four years. And so for the most part, uh, it, I, I, it doesn't bother me as a person um, to to be you know in front of a camera or whatever. It it has become second nature for me. However. And, and this is why I'm wanting to talk about this, because when it comes to making phone calls or doing video calls, I don't think at least like if, if everything that I can tell the social anxiety that I have related to other things like going out and being in groups is different in than this situation. In this case, it's like I don't like the idea of as soon as I pick up that call, I know that I am stuck on that call until both of us have decided that it's okay for us to walk away from it. And the problem with that is, you know how Jiminy Cricket was like the conscience of Pinocchio? Mm -hmm. My Jiminy Cricket is like the size of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man in Ghostbusters. (laughs) Like gigantic. And so I just get so guilty and I end up, you know, staying on phone calls a billion years longer than I intend to. And, and uh, so this is something that I've never talked about uh, publicly before. Um, But I think it's been about, yeah, maybe about a year ago, um, I was diagnosed with adult ADD. Um, And I, you know, have gone through treatment and all that other stuff. And it's uh, stable ADD at this point. And I wonder if that's what it's related to. Yeah. Um, And I don't know if you could provide and maybe, you know, the reason I ask this, I'm not trying to just, you know, do this for me, but maybe there are other people out there who have the same feeling of like, oh, I'm stuck on this for the next 20 minutes and I don't want to be kind of feeling. Yeah. And I can, and before, before you answer, Georgia, I can just add on to that, you know, because I was part of that call and I, I think we even talked about this. Like I when and I know in, you know, logically that Mike is not going to judge me. We're having the phone call and my, I have, as we're ta- talking and having the conversation, I have this running track in the back of my head saying, look at his eyes, look at his eyes, look at his eyes. Don't look away. Look at his eyes, look at his eyes. Because I, because you know, it's hard for me having ADD to, you know, just even just maintaining eye contact for long periods of time. And, and it's like, it's magnified where it feels magnified when you're on a video call that they're staring at your face. Like, it's not even like you're having a conversation sitting down and you might be looking at something else that's in the, that's in the, the restaurant or wherever you are. It's like, they are staring staring at your face and you are staring at their face and they're going to know if you are not looking at them. And it's just kind of like magnifies it and adds this level of distraction on top of the, on top. And maybe this is something that people without ADD don't deal with. It's entirely possible, but that's something that I was feeling very heavily. And we, and I even mentioned it. And I, even after us talking about it, I still felt it, even though I knew that Michael would completely understand if I wasn't looking at him the entire time. Right. So, um, okay. So we're going to, parse through this. So what you're talking about, Steve, is 
is definitely a, a form of social anxiety. It's not actually linked to ADD. The ADD oh, really? may make you more like, you know, prone to be noticing other things. And so you're not going to be looking directly at the person, but that you care and that that thought bothers you is linked more to a social anxiety. Now, mm. the funny part to that is that people don't usually look directly at each other when they speak. Often we look away, we look up to the left, up to the right, depending on if we are retrieving memories from the past or creating new memories and lying in the future. Um, and so we're going to, yeah, 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 you really can do that. It's kind of, it's a neat psychological trick. You can find out if someone's lying to you. Anyways, um, different story for a different time. And so that happens all the time and it happens quite often. And so no one would notice or even mind. And we can actually become very uncomfortable if someone is staring at us very directly. A lot of people might feel uncomfortable and that that's too much and that they're being underneath a microscope. Micah, to your point about the phone calls. So I'm going to go through two things. So one, there's two main streams of social anxiety. One is that intimate conversations are difficult. So the more that you get to know someone or if you're in a more intimate setting where people are going to get to know you, that's more difficult than being on a stage or performing because you have your own persona. And so I've dealt with people that are actors, act, you know, singers, dancers, and they can do that fine and they still have social anxiety. And so there's different types to that. Wow. And, and which is really, really common. So I deal with some really like big actors and models and other things that have social anxiety, but they can go onto a stage, be in a bikini and sing and dance. And they're oh my gosh. fine with it. You, you, Justin Trudeau, you're, you're his therapist, aren't you? <laughs> and so, and so that's, that's one, one point to it. The part of the phone call and you worrying about getting out is actually really, really common. It's common more to people that are caretakers though not to social anxiety. And so people that care a lot for others will feel bad if they are going to say, listen, sorry, guys, I have to go. Because you actually have a certain amount of say on how long this telephone conversation is. You might run into problems with other people that will be boundary violators that won't really care that you want to go. And they'll just keep on talking and then it becomes really difficult of how you're actually going to do it. But that's more of a, um, an issue that happens to people that are caretakers, that care a lot for others. You feel obligated to meet the other person's needs, but then often you might not be meeting your own needs because this is supposed to be a contract between two people. So if you want to leave or if you're done with the conversation also, you could say, listen, I only have five more minutes left and this is the way that we have to go through it. So for that case, and that also is can be then amplified with social anxiety because you care so much about being judged by others so you don't want to be rude, but you want to practice doing it and also have certain either physical constraints that will stop a phone call from going over too long and then practicing how do you delicately and with finesse pull yourself out of situations that you don't want to deal with so you feel more comfortable with that because you do have a right to be able to do that. Whoa, I very much appreciate it. I think I got some goosebumps there because that was like no, a super. This is how you do it, Micah. This is how you do it. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Brianna's got to do Yeah, Dr. Opinion. Brianna's got some good advice for you. So, so sometimes I, I really do do this. And, uh, wait, wait, do because... you want to role play it, Bri? Do you want to role play it? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay go okay. for so it. So, are we on the phone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bring, 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 bring. Hey, what's up? This is Brianna Hey, hey Brie, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing oh, great. Oh, God. So, you know, I had a really Sorry, got to go. Woo well, out. What? 
Hello? Woo out? Hello? You've Hello? said woo out to someone before? You've said woo out. That was right before she hung up the phone. And it doesn't That's break right. your heart? Right. And you've got a better, you have a better, like, you have an authoritative last name. So Sergeant you, you out. You're like, Sergeant out. This is yeah. starting out. Yeah, like like Lubitz out is not going to work quite as well. It's got no, too many no, syllables. No, no, yeah, no. starting out. I guess I could use that like once. That's one of those wild cards you pull out. If I could do that once <laughs> on every person, because they, I think they'd be so shocked by it that it, I'd get away with it. You would have to literally be dropping a mic as you do it, though. <laughs> you can no, always do no. the. You just hang oh, up the goodness. phone. Is it really yeah. ten o'clock? Oh my! I only have five more minutes. Oh, but guys. Georgia, I know that I don't have five more minutes, so I can't do that. I will just think about it for the rest of the night. But there's, that I... there's Bruce Lee said, and and he's right on this one. <laughs> okay, it's Bruce Lee, so it's this is Bruce gospel. Lee. So you just this is of course, please, please. Um, is that, you know, your time is your most precious commodity and you should not be spending time for situations that you do not wish to be involved in. And I have a great okay, line. Okay, gotta go. Bye. <laughs> I have a great Sergeant line. Out. I have a great line when people try to pressure you into things that you don't want to do. And you guys can steal this line. It works so well. You can just say, I don't do that. I'm sorry. I don't do that. And then they'll ask why. And you just say, I don't do that. It works for anything and everything. When someone's like, listen, can you take two more minutes? I just can't. Why? I just can't. And that's it. It's sweet. It's not lying. You just don't want to do it. And that's fine. You do not have to make up an excuse. I just can't. I like that. The phrase, go fuck yourself, would also work. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know. And on that note, I don't know if that's less confrontational, George. (laughs) I don't really have a good sense of that stuff. But (laughs) we should. We we do need to wrap this thing up. uh, If we have some 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 questions from the audience, and uh, Doctor Bree can offer some more sage advice. Yeah, I I think we got one, and then we'll and then we'll go because I I have to tell you, I have five more minutes for this podcast. I just can't. Yeah, I just can't go on longer (laughs) than that. Okay, let's do it. I don't do that. Woo out. (laughs) We got a DM on Twitter, and I'm not sure if we can use the person's name, so we won't. I but they say, uh, hey disruption, George Dow Corner Time. I had my only therapist when I was 13 or 14, and it was generally an awful experience. Aww. They flat out lied to me, and issues culminated when they physically prevented me from leaving their office. Ooh. About two years later, I'm dealing with some things that I think therapy could help with, but I'm still somewhat shaken, and I'm not sure I'm comfortable seeing another therapist. Is there some sort of therapy aversion therapy I can seek, or do I just have to suck it up and solve a few of my problems myself? Also, I realize that therapy aversion therapy is an inherently funny concept, so don't hesitate to make any wit- witty quips on the subject on my account (laughs) so i you know you want to find someone that you feel really comfortable with and and no one should ever be forcing you to stay inside of like already that that you know i i deal with a lot of people with anxiety and also with claustrophobia and other other types of phobias and issues and i always let people know my you can leave like just leave the door you can just go you don't even have to tell me if you feel anxious or you need to walk around walk around this is your space i'm working for you not the other way around and so you want to be able to, I think that like, you know, finding someone else that that's felt comfortable with someone and you can also call a therapist and just talk to them at first. Say, listen, would it be okay if I can just speak with you for like, you know, two, three minutes just to feel, you know, if I feel comfortable with you or not. And then if you don't, 
don't continue going to a therapist that makes you feel horrible. You know, often you might feel uncomfortable the first time because it's therapy, but you want to feel a certain sense of being okay. And I often say that it's it's one of the most important pieces to therapy is feeling someone understands you and that will be able to validate you and listen and be able to discuss things. You're supposed to be a team with your therapist. It's not supposed to be somewhere where you feel like you're trapped. It's that's really the opposite of therapy. Can can I ask you a question, Georgia? Yes, please. Um, so this is this is a trend I see a lot with my friends. Um, and so I see people and they'll say things to me like, oh, my therapist just said I should be doing this or my therapist tried all his manipulative tricks on me or, or something like this that really casts the therapist as a villain. And I I, I hear it, and I'm really saying this, trying to be non-judgmental, but I can't help but hear it and feel like, okay, if this is a true situation, a therapist is trying to manipulate you, like that's going against the, the principle of like the therapist lets you decide what you want to do with your life, and it would be very unethical therapy if that mm-hmm. were the case. But I can't help but hear that sometimes and go, well, I just know how much human nature is wanting to not realize anything is wrong and realize that for a lot of therapists, it's got to be very hard to have a client who you're trying to advocate for, but to try to, try to get them to go, well, maybe the problem here is me. Maybe this is my behavior. Do you know what I mean? Am yeah. I Am I wrong with that? Yeah, I think that I have my own way of doing therapy and other people have their ways of doing therapy, but you're supposed to work to, you're supposed to be a team. You're not supposed to be lying or manipulating. You're supposed to be, you know, showing in an honest way, a different way of looking at things and discussing it and unveiling it together as a team to be able to look at it. I can be wrong just like anyone else can. I, I don't know someone better than they know themselves. I'm here to show a different look at things, to discuss things, to be there, to be um, a support to be able to think that. But in the end, it's I'm not supposed to be trying to push someone into a direction where I want them to go. This is their life. And I think that that's disrespectful to try to manipulate or persuade someone to do something. Because if they don't, if they want to do even something that I would say is the wrong thing, that is fully their choice. That is the respectful thing. They might need to learn from doing something a way that I would not think that they should do that or would not be a choice that I make. And that's what you want to have is a respectful thought process to that. I shouldn't be um, manipulate people into doing certain things without them knowing the way that I feel that way. I, I try to be really trans, like I'm an exceptionally transparent therapist. Other trans therapists are very opaque. So transparency in therapy is being really honest. If I write something down, I'm going to tell the person I'm not going to uh. write down one thing on a piece of paper and not say it to the person that I'm working with. That's, I think disrespectful. And I think I would be upset if someone wrote down, you know, wow, they're really lying when they said this and said to me, oh yes, continue on. I would be really offended by someone if they did that to me. And so, you know, if I say, you know what, I'm not so sure if that's, you know, really what's happening. I think that I would say it to you so that, because the notes in therapy are supposed to be the clients, not my notes. So they could look at them. And so I always want to make sure that you know, if I'm wrong, I'll say, you know what, I might have been wrong about that. Let's discuss this. And if someone's upset at me, that's okay. We can go through this. This is not something where uh, I'm a perfect person with that. So it's, it's probably not. And, and again, I, you know, who knows, you know, 
what it is and why they feel that way, but they should bring it up to their therapist. If they feel like someone's being, they're being persuaded or something isn't happening in a way that's um, transparent, they should go out and actually tell their therapist, this made me feel uncomfortable or I didn't like that. And sometimes that's some of the best therapy sessions is when someone's, you know, someone's able to speak up and say, you know what, I didn't like this. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Well, and quick question for you. Uh, how how common is, I know you've said that you've done or you do sessions uh, over Skype or mm-hmm. online at least. Um, how common is that? Is that just, is that something that's re- fairly, wow, fairly unique to you and I don't know, like the, some of your colleagues or is that a common thing? Because I'm thinking about how, you know, this person was pretty specific about how the, the the physical act of them being blocked from leaving the office was, you know, yeah. not good for them. Yeah. So maybe if they're in a situation where they don't have that imposing, uh, whether it be a closed door or a person physically blocking them from leaving, that could be a beneficial thing. And it gives them the opportunity to kind of relax while they get to know the therapist and see if they're a good therapist. Yeah. And them. it gives them a certain amount of control. So I do a lot of Skype sessions for people that, you know, live really far away. We don't, see all of our body language. So there's a certain amount that we do not see of the other person. And so I may not, it's not as easy to read. The face is the most important part. And so you get that through a Skype video session. But for people that are dealing with phobia, claustrophobia, germophobia, they can't leave the house, social anxiety, and they're homebound, this is a wonderful tool that they can get help from someone else. And they're still in their safe zone. So what's your advice on finding some finding a therapist who offers those kinds of services? Is there something that you should ask whoever you're looking to? Yeah, and if you if you hear of a really great therapist that you want to see, you can ask them, "Do you do Skype sessions?" And I think that more and more therapists are doing Skype sessions. It's quite the trend now because it's it's, you know, time-saving as well, right? Like they don't have to travel, they can be wherever they are. They can even take the lunchtime during work and be able to do their session during that period of time, which is really nice. So I think that more therapists are doing that. And I think that it's on the increase. I think that there's still some issues with confidentiality and is how confidential is Skype and where does all the information go. Um, but by and large, I think that it's a very good thing. Uh, so does that does that just about wrap it up? I think it does. All I right. got five more minutes. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't do that. Okay, if we don't, if I know what the title of this show has to be, I'm just saying. No, it's got to be Brianna's vivid analogy. No, it has to. Actually I, I thought be I thought it was Wu Out is what it is. No, no, it has to be awkward testicle slippage. I'm no, <laughs> I don't do that. I don't do that. I'm, I'm sorry, George. I can't do that. Brianna's yeah. vivid analogy. Sergeant out. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can, you could give us. Oh, by the way, I just have to say, uh, you know, I was gone last week and uh, I was, you know, fighting crime. I can confirm that. Um, but just so everybody out there knows, if you were waiting with bated breath, wondering whether I was going to have to sue uh, Brianna Wu, the the case, or, you know, the, the case has gone through and I am going to have to do that. And that's simply because, you know, it's liable to vastly undersell how good I look in tights. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there. I'm not sure that is libel. I'm not sure that is libel. It's, it's slander. 
I can't remember which one is which. I know nothing about law. But if you would like to get in touch and risk getting sued by me as well, uh, just kidding. Here's how you could do that. You can give us a call at 508-418-3532. That's 508-418-3532. You can tweet at us. Our Twitter is underscore disruption FM with the hashtag disrupt me. That lets us see it in our special secret location. Or you can send us a direct message because we keep our DMs open. So slide on into the DMs. Please go review the show on iTunes. Uh, it certainly helps. And, uh, you know, there have been a lot of podcasts on Relay in particular talking about podcast discovery lately. And you know what they all mm-hmm. said? It's very helpful if you rate the show on iTunes because iTunes is still one of the best places to find new podcasts. So please give us some ratings. You can find our show notes with all of the fun articles and things in them at relay.fm slash disruption. That's also the place where you can go and sponsor our show if you want to do that. That would be awesome. And as as always... Thanks. Yeah, you gotta you gotta help Brie fund her um, her game where she'll use Linode to run the whole thing. Um, thank you so much, Relay. Uh, again, happy, happy, happy birthday to you. You can find me on Twitter at Micah Sergeant. Steve, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me uh, curating pictures of cats with human feet to send to Micah uh. on Twitter <laughs> at Wicked Good. Brie, what about you? Where can people find you? Sergeant Al. she doesn't do that okay i'm gonna woo out after i ask you georgia dow underscore under dow score (laughs) where can people find you on twitter on twitter it's at georgia underscore dow if you have any if you don't have twitter and and you have a comment or question or or something like that you can also send me an email it's at it's georgia at i-m-o-r-e at imore.com what? No underscore? Or, or just leave a comment on any article on iMore and it'll get to Georgia. <laughs> and uh, if people need, you know, if, if they can't find a Skype session, but they need help with uh, anxiety, uh, depression, yeah, we things just like that. Did, and we just did some uh, three new videos. So uh, we did, redid session one because it had some audio issues. So we would have been wanting to redo that. And we did one on boundaries and consequences and one on depression, which we probably should have done a lot earlier since that's one of our specialties and really needed. And that's at anxiety-videos.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, all that's left is for Steve to tell the audience that little thing he tells them every time. So, Steve, you got something you need to say? I can't do that. <laughs> Sergeant out. Sergeant <laughs> out.